You're listening to the NCF&B Podcast. The North Carolina Food and Beverage Podcast takes you behind the scenes of North Carolina's food and beverage industry. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at NCFB Pod. Presented by Food Scene. That's foodsen.com. Providing professional photography, social media management, video production, and website design. And now, enjoy the show. Thank you for listening to the NCFMB podcast. I am your meteorologist, Max Thunder Trujillo. Hurricane Matthew Weiss is uh, on assignment right now, but uh, we are sitting in our new studios, or I am sitting in the new studios in downtown Raleigh, the heart of the Triangle, uh, speaking with Daniel Lewis, the owner and proprietor of Coastal Seafood Provisions, out in the Outer Banks, uh, Kitty Hawk, I think, to be more sp- precise. Is that right, Dan? Yeah, Southern Shores, Kitty Hawk. Southern Shores, yes. Yeah, see, I still messed it up. That's fine. But welcome to the show. Happy to be here, <laughs> remotely as uh, as uh, the storm necessitates. Yeah, so we are uh, we are talking to you on a Tuesday at uh, 10 o'clock in the morning, and we have Hurricane Florence pending, impending onto our uh, coastline. It's no joke. This is kind of a big deal, and... Truth be told, we were going to have you in studio to talk about Oystoberfest happening on the 13th of October uh, out there in the Outer Banks. But we've got a hurricane to worry about right now, and I wanted to get you on the phone at least so that we could discuss what's happening right now, what's what's it look like in out, the Outer Banks, and uh, how are you guys dealing with this at this moment? Well, right now it's absolutely gorgeous out. Blue skies, you know, partly cloudy. Uh, just posted on our uh, social media, Instagram, and uh, took a little few second video this morning across the street at Kitty Hawk Pier. Uh, surf's actually a little bit less than it was uh, yesterday, but it's definitely, uh, you know, the red flags are up, no swimming, of course. It's a, a mandatory evacuation yesterday and uh, on their way. And honestly, I think most people uh, started leaving yesterday. The exodus yesterday was pretty uh, significant. Yeah, so uh, your your sound quality is a little tough, but that's fine. Uh, just in case somebody didn't hear, there is an evacuation happening for the Outer Banks. So does that mean that you're getting out of Dodge too? What, what, what's your plan? Uh, well, we have a very uh, safe uh, building here uh, where the uh, Coastal Provisions Oyster Bar is. Um, it's in a shopping center that's uh, pretty high up, uh, uh, 18 feet above sea level, which for the Outer Banks is pretty high up. Uh, yeah. And so we all generally ride out the storms here because we have provisions here and uh, and we offer the space, uh, the safe space for our friends and employees that might not be in as safe a space, especially uh, if they're right on the ocean or right on the sound where they can expect storm surge or some more significant flooding. Yeah, so you guys are the, the beacon of light to help out. <laughs> well, that's uh, a little uh, dramatic or poetic, but uh, yeah, I guess, uh, <laughs> I guess, what, but we'll see how it, uh, see how it goes. We're uh, opening for lunch today. In fact, uh, because it's 9-11, we actually are, uh, donate uh, lunch to the first responders at one of the local churches today and uh we'll we'll do lunch service here and then we'll uh, close uh at three o'clock today uh finish making the preparations on the building and whatnot and allow everybody to do what they're going to do whether it be go ahead and evacuate or uh you know prepare their homes for riding out the storm it is the what 17th year anniversary of of 9-11. So that's a, this is a pretty heavy day in America just in general. It's so awesome that you're doing that for everybody in the area for 9-11. Now, 
listeners of the show might remember Dan because you help and you coordinate the Taste of the Beach, uh, which happened, which we were a part of, um, was an episode that we released back in March. And you're doing that again uh, coming up uh, next year. And uh, we'll get into that at some point. But talking to you, Daniel, you are an authority on oysters. I mean, you did an amazing oyster dinner while we were there. And you paired everything, not just based off of uh, the local flavors and and what um, pairs well in general with oysters, but you really got into the the saltwater content, the the flavor of each oyster and how different it was, down to the very like minute detail. And uh, oh, by the way, you're also a sommelier, so you know a thing or two about wine. All that said, being our official oyster professional oyster man. Ah, uh, sure. I don't think that's actually the world. Give a name for for that. Not like uh, somebody or anything like that. Although I know uh, some some people that are into it are trying to begin uh, certifications to have like an oyster sommelier or. But it is an extensive type of education that most people don't understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. Yeah, it is. It's it's funny because it's uh, when you mentioned the wine, you know, having gone through sommelier training and the, all of the studying that goes through that, the, there's a lot of parallels between oysters and wine in terms of the knowledge. Uh, uh, sim- similar process because you have to know your in wine, you have to know your grapes and your regions where they grow and what and uh, the process. And same thing with oysters. I mean, there's five edible species of oysters and the ones that we deal with on the east coast all the way gulf of mexico and all the way up up and down the east coast up to up to canada that that one is all the same species so that's where your geography really comes into play and in fact so funny because when i decided to when i added the oyster bar to the restaurant uh one of the first references i found was a book by uh uh, james beard award-winning author rowan jacobson his uh 2007 i believe book is called the geography of oysters and it's, it's a great read because you'll, you'll see where he draws the parallel between wine and oysters as well. And so, yeah, it's, it's a very similar, uh, you know, uh, learning curve in yeah. terms of knowing your wines, knowing your oysters, knowing your geographies. Well, uh, before we continue getting into all the oyster stuff, make sure that uh, you're getting your wine from Triangle Wine Company. That's uh, trianglewineco.com. Right now, you can get 15% off all rosé wine and uh, 20% off all Lujan wines that goes all the way through the weekend. But uh, just let them know that the NCFB podcast sent you and uh, you'll always receive a great 10% discount. That's at trianglewineco.com. There are three locations, soon to be four, uh, out there in Waverly Place and Cary. You got one in Morrisville. You got one all the way down there in Southern Pines next to uh, Pinehurst Golf Resort. And then a new one in Matt's Neck of the Woods, Holly Springs. So visit Triangle Wine Company, order online, get your deliveries, or visit them in-store, and uh, let them know that we sent you. Okay, so you said you dropped a lot of amazing knowledge right there. There are five edible types of oysters in the world, but all of the oysters that we consume on the East Coast are one particular species? Species, yeah, correct. The, 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 yeah, the, the Virginica. There is one small exception to that. Up, up in Maine, they uh, in the 1950s, some people brought uh, some of the European flat, uh, another species of oyster. Uh, most people know those as uh, Balan because they're from Balan, France. Uh, some people, some folks brought those over to Maine in the 50s trying to foil them, but they uh, that, that that effort never really took uh, took foot. But what remains is actually some of their uh, descendants. And uh, there's about 5,000 hand harvested a year. They have to be uh, going to cold water and then bag for them as opposed to, you know, raking them or, you know, raking them up or farming them like uh, a lot of the other oysters are done. So they're the most rare oyster on the East Coast and a different, different species and very different flavor profile. Well, so let's establish what's the East Coast standard. Like what, what would you consider an East Coast standard oyster as a flavor profile? 
Uh, well, East Coast, uh, I like to say that, the, and, I may, and I may be stealing this right from Roland's book, but uh, to sure. me, the, uh, the Eastern oyster is like the Chardonnay in the wine world, it's where a lot of people says it, does, it doesn't have a lot of, uh, of its own character, that it really takes uh, the flavor of where it's grown. Uh, much like uh, with the Chardonnay grape, you know, when you grow a Chardonnay grape in Chablis, it has a completely different flavor profile than one grown, in, uh, you know, further south in Burgundy or different than, uh, you know, uh, you know, Sonoma or Sonoma Coast in, in California. Uh, same thing with oysters. That's, yeah, same thing with oysters. That same species will taste completely different, uh, coming out of the mouth of the Pamlico River, for example, down here, uh, versus, uh, near, uh, Oregon Inlet where they're getting a lot of, uh, saltwater inputs. Yeah, Chardonnay does lend itself to its environment, to its terroir. Okay, so then with that said, the European flat oyster you mentioned, what is that more similar to, or how does that differentiate from the East Coast oyster that we're used to? Wow, that, that one has this very strong uh, flavor profile. <laughs> In fact, some people say it's uh, it's uh, you know, definitely not a beginner oyster. It has such a high mineral content that... Uh, you know, some people say it's actually like chewing pennies. It's so high in zinc and, and uh, some other minerals that just make it somewhat uh, bitter. It's kind of like, you know, if you're a, a really dark beer drinker, you're, you know, some people are, some people aren't. It's just a very strong flavor. What type of wine would you pair with an oyster that tastes like chewing pennies? So so I'm not under the uh, uh, impression that I should force uh, necessarily uh, my taste on of wine onto others. You know, there's a, there's a, a lot of it comes down to what you like to drink. So if you're a big uh, Sauvignon Blanc fan, Sauvignon Blanc is definitely known as, as a good wine for oysters. Um, if you like something uh, a little bit uh, uh, fuller, smooth, smoother without as much grapefruit, I'm not a big grapefruit fan myself, so I, I prefer to go for a lighter, lighter wine, a crisper wine, good acidity, like, you know, even, even going into the rosé territory. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, as far as pairing with a stronger flavored oyster, yeah, you might want to, you know, have a stronger flavored wine as, uh, but, but if you really want the oyster to come through and you might want to go with a little more neutral, uh, flavored wine, like a Pinot Gris or a Muscadet. So, okay. This is all leading us kind of into Oystoberfest, which is coming up soon. So I'd love to, uh, hear about what's going on here that this is happening again, like we said, uh, October 13th, that's a Saturday. And uh, it's the third annual. Is that correct? I believe it is. We uh, started a few years ago as a uh, kind of celebration of uh, primarily North Carolina oysters. We and uh, North Carolina breweries. <clears throat> so we uh, have uh, about a half dozen uh, oyster farm, uh, oyster farmers uh, from North Carolina. We actually have uh, eight signed up so far. So we might even get a few more. Uh, we have about eight breweries coming out. And uh, we invite uh, area chefs to uh, come in and uh, prepare an oyster dish as well. So you got kind of three components. You know, you got the raw on, on the half shell, shucked by the farmers, you get to meet, put, meet the farmers and, you know, talk about the differences and explore the differences between the, the different oysters. And then you have some chefs preparing, showing what they can do with these oysters. And then, of course, uh, washing it all down with some uh, North Carolina brew. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Um, so... Now, I got to know then, um, with Hurricane Florence coming in here, there's got to be a huge effect in oyster farming uh, after something like this happens. And you've lived out there for a, a few years now. You, you understand what going through a, a hurricane can, can be like. Could you speak to me about what that means to um, the, the coastline and what it means for the, uh, for the farmers of all these oyster farms? Well, sure. Much like anybody else, they're they're preparing. They're just preparing in a different way on the water. Uh, a majority of the oyster farmers uh, 
their method is uh, uh, floating bags. Uh, and for example, I know, uh, uh, well, for example, in progression of the storm, if anybody wanted oysters, they harvested uh, uh, past a day or two to get, uh, get ahead of the storm. And I know a couple uh, of the farmers will actually sink their bags because a lot of these bags are on flotation devices. Yeah. So uh, I, know, I know last year, uh, I know one of our local farmers lost about 20,000 oysters that just got blown away. And, they, you know, got detached from their moorings based on the wind and the, and the wave action. And, you know, some of them ended up on the other side, uh, on the other side of the Pamlico uh, Sound for those that were found. Oh, wow. So, uh, yeah, some, some of them are sinking their oysters to kind of protect them. And then, you know, after the storm passes, hopefully they'll still be there and get them back up on their, uh, in their, in their bags up on top of the water. Well, that makes me think about when we went soft shell crab fishing with uh, James Clark and Bill Hartley over at Postal Fish Company in Pittsburgh. We went to the Albemarle Sound and got on boats with the uh, soft shell fishermen, but much like an oyster farmer as well, I have to imagine all those nets they have all throughout the sound are going to be wildly displaced after the hurricane. I mean, how is that going to affect them? Oh yeah, so I mean, the, the potential to not only lose their product, their their crop, but also their uh, their equipment. Uh, you know that equipment's not cheap uh, either. So uh, you know, um, it's uh, you just uh, tie everything down and secure it as best you can, and hope and hope for the best on the other side of the storm. You know, man, watch out for flying oysters too. I would assume. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't doubt. I doubt they'll be flying anywhere. As strong <laughs> as the wind is, most of these bags have about six hundred oysters in them. So that's uh, you know, a couple hundred pounds right there. Nice. Well, all right, let's get back to what's the day going to look like for Oystoberfest, considering everything, or let's hope everything is going to be fine by that point. We, we will have at least about a month to uh, to go from there. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, assuming, assuming we're all still standing, uh, you know, all the buildings are still standing, we're going to have, uh, we'll be we'll be back to it uh, next week and getting the cleanup going and uh, preparing for uh, a great event. Uh, you know, what you get is, uh, you know, about a month, you know, a little over a month away. Uh, hopefully it'll be as gorgeous day as it is right now like i said it is absolutely gorgeous here right now the calm before the storm it's funny in about uh, two days it's going to be uh, completely different uh but we do this event out in our parking lot of, uh, of the shopping center uh we limit it to 350 people to uh, keep it uh, a little bit more sane you, you've been here for our uh, chowder cook-off that we have in the same same space yeah. and that, that that's like 600 people but uh with all of these oysters going on we want to make sure that uh you know, everybody has the best time possible and has time to meet all the farmers and, you know, really uh, get a feel for where and how their, their food comes from. Yeah, it's it's a great time. And, I mean, if anybody that's living here, like in the Triangle or just North Carolina in general, if you haven't been to the Outer Banks, it really is truly amazing. It's beautiful. As a West Coaster, I love the fact that if I'm out there, out there on the island itself and you look west, you can see the sun setting over – the western coastline it makes me feel like i'm back in california for a bit and uh really a <laughs> remarkable place to be yeah it's it's, it's beautiful so you know the, the next couple of days is going to be part of part of the trade-off you know so it's one of the small prices to pay for living uh living in in our our bit of paradise <laughs> well speaking of the west coast and i want to get geeky again with oysters uh when you're talking about the different species that are out there what's happening on the west coast because I'm, I'm familiar with a lot of the ones you know coming out in the seattle area up in washington and there's some beautiful oysters out there and what's the what's the species like out there and how is that different than what we're getting on the east yeah, yeah. There's uh, three primary species out there. We've already mentioned the eastern oyster here, as well as the balan, which is also known as the European flat. That's a that's another one of the five species. And then the other three are west coast. Only one of which is actually indigenous to the Pacific Northwest, and that's the Olympia oyster. It's a very small, round oyster that uh, 
uh, it's you pretty much don't see it much on the on the east coast or or outside the Pacific Northwest because it doesn't travel really well. Uh, and then there's two other species, the Pacific and the Kumamoto, which you're going to find fairly common certainly on the uh, west coast. I know uh, Taylor Shellfish Farms is probably one of the biggest companies out there that uh, is involved in uh, shellfish aquaculture. Uh, they do a fantastic job. And so I'll, I'll bring in a West Coast oyster uh, just to have a different species, you know, on a fairly regular basis, whether it be a Kumamoto or Pacifics. I actually uh, started bringing one in from New Zealand, too. Uh, one of my suppliers in uh, Virginia works with a uh, uh, Pangea shellfish up in, in uh, Boston who handles a lot of the not only West Coast uh, stuff, but um, anything that's like, you know, further north, uh, Prince Edward Island, Canada, and, you know, any of the Cape Cod oysters. So I try to source from different areas. So, yeah, I, you know, we'll, we will see... Uh, you know, pretty much all, all four, four of the major species. I've only had Olympia here once, and that was actually when uh, uh, Rowan Jacobson was here to do a wine dinner with us, uh, an oyster wine dinner, and he called in a favor with Taylor and had some shipped overnight. But uh, yeah, they're uh, they're they're a pretty rare one. Uh, but the the Pacific's different flavor profile, whereas the Eastern really takes primary uh, flavor from the waters it comes from. The Pacific's and the Kumamoto's have a natural creamy creaminess. Uh, um, and almost have hints of melon and cucumber is what most people uh, describe it as. Yeah. So it definitely has its own flavor. In fact, in fact, when you shuck them, you can smell the difference in the uh, the Pacifics and Kumamoto's versus uh, versus an Eastern oyster, which really the the, the, the brine is really the major uh, what drives the flavor component on the Eastern oyster. I don't want to get uh, everyone on the East Coast upset at you, but it sounds like you're a big fan of those West Coast oysters. Oh, I don't get me wrong. I love, I love the, uh, I love them both. Uh, but I think they have different applications. Yeah. Generally, uh, the generally the Pacifics are going to be much smaller flavor. Uh, but because they have a, a, a unique characteristic flavor of their own, uh, that's I can see where most people that enjoy Pacifics don't really want to top them and and mess up that flavor. You know what I mean? Right. Whereas the there, there's there's such a variety in the Eastern oyster. Uh, like for example, the uh, uh, the Prince Edward Island. Uh, Oysters are generally a lot uh, uh, thinner meat where the uh, colder water, they don't build up as much glycogen with a, that fatty creaminess component that makes the oyster meat kind of look whitish as opposed to clear. So those northern oysters, Cape Cod, same thing. A lot of them are, are really almost like clear. You can almost see through the meat. Mm. Uh, so they don't actually cook well. And they're really meant for enjoying on you know, raw on the half shell. But I tell you what, when you when you taste those northern oysters, you can almost taste how cold that water is. It's just, it's just, it's like the Pinot It's like a nice crisp uh, Pinot Grigio. Where it's like light and crisp and bright and just, you know, you feel you feel the the chill of the water. You know, whereas you get you know on the other side of that yeah. spectrum, and you know you go down to the Gulf of Mexico, those oysters are in warmer water. They generally don't go dormant. And so they're feeding almost year round. They build up so much plump glycogen and, and you know, uh, food storage in, in the meat that they're just really well, uh, suited well for cooking and steam, steaming, roasting, uh, or oyster stew, or what have you. Yeah. Oh man, I'm I'm a huge fan of roasted oysters. That's something I did, never really had on the West Coast, but I've become a huge fan since being out here. Uh, what's a What's a good roasted oyster recipe that you might throw out to somebody? Well, I'll tell you what, of course, you know, probably the best known is Oysters Rockefeller developed down in uh, New Orleans, uh, you know, uh, way a long time ago, I believe uh, early 1900s, uh, you know, which is like, you know, any some kind of incarnation with spinach and perno and, you know, uh, cheese or cream sauce, Parmesan. Um, we do our version with actually uh, uh, 
peppered bacon, spinach, and a little blue cheese with top of white sauce, which seems to be a big hit. But uh, I actually, uh, we, we do something on our menu just called baked oysters, where it's a trio of baked oysters, whatever oyster is looking good, nice and plump for roasting. I'll just shuck it and uh, make a selection of three different compound butters to put on top. And so you get uh, two of each oyster, each, you know, uh, a pair of uh, oysters each with uh, different butter on them. That sounds awesome. Uh, I think right, right now, right, yeah, right now we're doing a uh, roasted shallot butter, a uh, fresh turmeric and red chili butter. Uh, springtime, I'll do a, a ramp butter, uh, and of course, uh, one of my favorites that I do right now is a uh, kind of like my version of a uh, Creole pan barbecue. Uh, you know, lots, lots of Tabasco and and uh, you know, in with the butter and black pepper and a little, little fresh herb. But uh, of course, being in North Carolina, we uh, we use uh, you know Texas peat from. Uh, uh, Winston-Salem, Winston-Salem of, uh, that's right. <laughs> um, yeah, aptly named Texas Pete, but it actually is a North I know, Carolina product. Out, right? <laughs> um, can't, 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 haven't figured that one out yet, but uh, it works. So I'm always curious about this, and I wonder if anybody else out there is curious about what is the uh, nutritional value to an oyster? Is there anything, like, are we getting anything for our bodies from an oyster? Well, you're definitely talking to the wrong person. I'm not. I'm a chef, not a nutritionist. And when it comes to oysters, obviously there's going to be, you know, it, it's there's going to be some nutritional value. I'm sure. I can't tell you the caloric uh, value of it. It's probably not very high, being that it's, uh, you know, still a majority uh, majority of it's going to be water. Uh, but obviously, sodium, salt, the salt, the, the minerals from it, uh, the algae that it uh, that it digests and consumes, and. Uh, but uh, from my perspective, it's more about what it what it is as a food for as a, as a chef who's you know concerned with where our food comes from. To me, and and again, I'm going to rip off a quote from uh, from Rowan uh, that it's probably the most sustainable protein source on the planet. Uh, you know, as a, as a chef, uh, I try to feature as much local product as possible. And being here, it's fantastic because you know I get fish off the docks all the time, you know, fresh off the docks all the time. Uh, the one big dilemma as a chef that I have still is is uh, beef. You know, knowing that, uh, you know, com- commodity beef is just, uh, you know, has such a negative impact uh, environmentally and, you know, sustainability wise. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there is uh, some grass fed product being uh, uh, developed here in, the, in uh, North Carolina, but uh, not enough to make it viable commercially yet. Um, so, yeah, so getting, discovering uh, oysters has is, is really been a, a, a wonderful thing in, in that respect. Because it is uh, such a sustainable protein source that I just really am into finding different ways for people to enjoy them. You know, I have a lot of people that have just have an aversion to raw oysters for whatever reason, whether it be, you know, the, you know they think it's so, the, the, R, the letter R month thing, which is no longer valid with farmed oysters, um, or, you know, the texture, a textural thing, they were steamed, which ruins a lot of the characteristic of uh, these different oysters from different locations. Um, so I so I make it a point uh, to to really to really introduce different flavors to, to oysters and and so people can say oh wow I, I I I can't believe you did that with an oyster. Yeah, you were mentioning the months ending in R, and of course, I mean we're uh, September, October, November, December. That's when traditionally people considered that to be the time of fresh oysters. But you're saying that's kind of a misnomer at this point. Uh, yeah, it is actually. Actually, the whole letter R thing goes back to ancient Roman times. <clears throat> I believe it was a uh, uh, historian Pliny that. Uh, uh, that's referenced uh, to whereas when you think about it, I mean, uh, in ancient Rome, they were harvesting oysters off the coast and truck, uh, you know, putting them on uh, horse-drawn carriage uh, 
or wagon to uh, Rome in uh, the heat of summer. No wonder they were going bad and developing bacteria and, and getting people sick. So that's where that whole fallacy came from. Well, that, that's really where we are now is, is that, uh, especially with oyster aquaculture, that, uh, you know, they are extremely safe. I mean, the waters are tested. In fact, you know, thinking about what's going to be happening here in the next, uh, in the next uh, few days or, or weeks, the, uh, the, when, it, when it rains a lot and, and a lot of fresh water comes into uh, these uh, areas where the oysters are grown, it drops the salinity, uh, which, remember, salt is a preservative as well. Yeah. Salt has its benefits. So, but but also when it rains so much, there's a lot of runoff that comes from you know ag- whether the agricultural runoff or you know, runoff from uh, urban development or whatnot. These areas uh, where oysters are farmed in the estuaries and in the sound do get shut down, and they're shut down as a precaution for safety until the water is tested and made sure that everything's safe. So, yeah, that, the R thing, uh, you know, that really doesn't have any bearing except for the fact that you know in North Carolina the wild. Oyster season does go pretty much from November to March, uh, and that's when they are at their best. Uh, I got to ask: the lore is that uh, oysters are an aphrodisiac. Does that bit of lore hold any weight in reality? Uh, it, it, it is. It's, I think it's all in your mind. You know, there's. Uh, you know, I, I think it's probably only uh, uh, lends itself to one of my favorite oyster jokes. That you know, I uh, uh, only had I had a dozen oysters the other day, but only eleven of them worked. <laughs> well, they're rich in vitamin C and B12. B12 is always good to have, like uh, after a hangover, or so like replenish your body. And then they have like <laughs> zinc and selenium, iron. So I guess just uh, it's like having a really big vitamin boost real fast. So if it means anything, that's probably what it is. But it might also just have a lot to do with the act of eating an oyster, and that might be part of the uh, benefit of of an aphrodisiac. Oh, oh, sure. I think you know some of it's all on, all on the mind anyway. Yeah. Well, uh, well, I better uh, I better get out of here and batten down the hatches before you know all of our stuff blows away and the storm comes through. Let's run over real quick uh, just how we get to Oystoberfest happening October thirteenth. Give us any information as to how to get tickets and and where to go. Sure. Again, it's uh, going to be held Saturday, October thirteenth, uh, in parking lot here where uh, Coastal Provisions Oyster Bar is located. That's Southern Shores Crossing Shopping Center. Uh, it's going to happen from noon till two thirty, and you can get tickets off of our website, which is coastalprovisionsobx.com. Just look for the uh, the uh, purchase online uh, tab and go there. Coastal Provisions obx.com to get your tickets October 13th from noon to 2.30 out there in the Outer Banks. It's going to be awesome. You'll see me out there, so come join us. Daniel, thank you so much. Thank you. Be safe out there, too. And before we get out of here, on behalf of Matt, who is out on assignment right now, somewhere in Chapel Hill, I think, uh, he would tell you to eat as many oysters and drink as much wine and be merrily. And uh, so I'm telling you that do that, too, and subscribe to our podcast. That's right. When you're on Apple Podcasts, don't just download the episode and listen, but subscribe. That means every Thursday, a new episode will show up on your phone. You don't have to do anything after that. And tell a friend. Let everyone else know that uh, we tell you guys the great stories of North Carolina's food and beverage industry. So share the word. Screenshot you listening to it on your phone and post that on Instagram. That actually helps our SEO, you know, search engine optimization and tag us in posts. That really helps us out as well. So if you're a fan of the show, write us a review, tag us, post us, do everything for us. And we'll try to make the show a little bit better every Thursday morning. Well, that's all I got for now. Time to uh, run from Hurricane Florence. Take it easy on us, will you, darling? All right. Take care, everybody.